Chapter Twenty Two of An Unwilling Guest by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Twenty Two. Allison finds a mission. When Evelyn said good night before she closed the communicating door between the rooms, she kissed Allison on each cheek. That is one for your father and one for your mother she said smiling i know you will miss those kisses i wish i had such a mother as yours allison allison was just ready to turn out her light when evelyn knocked at the door once more and said gently may i come in a minute she was in her white night-dress with the soft cloud of blue-black hair behind her allison looking at her wondered how she had ever thought her haughty and cold allison will you pray for me she said half shyly it was not like evelyn to be shy but it suited her well i know you can pray she added because you did it in that meeting i want you to pray with me now there was a sweet wistfulness in her eyes as she looked up at her guest and allison trembling awed at the new duty which had been so unexpectedly thrust upon her yet knelt down hand in hand with the girl she had dreaded and sometimes feared and prayed in tender trembling tones for her it was harder this prayer than any she had ever offered before and when she finally lay down to rest she stayed awake to marvel she was beginning to know already that it was right that she should have come she thought over all the happenings since she came into the house she remembered the young man's earnest face and his tones as he answered her and liked it and wondered what the elder mr rutherford was like then the face of father and mother drifted before her and of her brother so far away she resolved to write him soon of her visit he would be pleased and her thoughts were lost in dreams the next thing she knew she heard the busy rumble of the hard at work wide awake city and awoke to find it broad daylight she was surprised indeed to find it nearly nine o'clock when she looked at her watch under her pillow and hastened to dress evelyn came to her presently and told her not to hurry that breakfast would be sent up to them presently allison smiled to herself to think that she had done the very same thing on her first morning that she had so despised evelyn for doing a year ago slept beyond the breakfast hour was she beginning to learn already the lessons that had been set for her on this visit it was all so pleasant and dreamlike this life that evelyn lived allison began to half wish it belonged to her the deft white-capped waitress slipping in and out with the dishes the grace and ease and daintiness of everything how much her mother would enjoy it after breakfast evelyn said now what about clothes i am responsible for bringing you off in such a hurry you know what is to be made and what is to be altered and what is to be bought i shall just enjoy helping you let us get anything of that sort off our minds and then we can be free to do what we please you will not need to dress much however allison is there anything to be done then allison in her own frank way moved by the genial manner of her hostess confided the story of the blue broadcloth and its left gore and went on to tell of the black silk and the lace shawl and a few other details of her toilet asking timidly if evelyn thought the lace shawl could be used in any way 
somehow in the light of new york grandmother's real lace shawl did not appear so very splendid after all they went to unpack the trunk and allison's courage rose when evelyn unqualifiedly admired the lace shawl and declared it would drape beautifully marie was called upon the scene and allison stood meekly watching her quick fingers as she took measurements like one who understood her business her pretty face dimpled into smiles at Evelyn's playful charge to make the dress as pretty as if it were for a princess, and she promised to do her best. They whiled away the morning and most of the afternoon in this and other talk, Allison luxuriating now and then between times in the latest magazines that lay about in profusion. And then the time came to dress for dinner, that dreaded hour. Allison had not yet seen Mr. Rutherford, at luncheon she and Evelyn had been alone. She dreaded the ceremony of the evening meal, with the colored butler and the handsome young man looking at her. She dreaded the question of dress again, and began to wish once more she were at home. Why was it that a Christian could feel so miserable and out of harmony with life, just because her environments had changed? It was all wrong. There must be something the matter with herself. Meanwhile, what should she put on? She stood helplessly before her trunk when Evelyn came in. Now there was among her clothes a certain little cream-colored china silk, a relic of the summer, plainly made and little thought of by Allison. She had not thought of wearing it. Put that on, said Evelyn. I know you will look sweet in it. And where is that lovely old yellow lace scarf of your mother's you showed me? It will be charming. Here, let me fix you, dear and a knot of black velvet in your hair. Allison was amazed at the effect of the arrangement, and a few touches. The white china silk no longer asserted itself for what it was, but served as a background for the long, rich scarf, knotted fichu style about her shoulders and hanging far down in front. The band of black velvet about her neck, and the touch of it in her gold hair, completed the picture. She did not know half how lovely she was herself, but someone else saw it, as she shyly came into the dining-room a little later. Richard Rutherford drew his breath in quickly, as he was wont to do before an exquisite painting or a lovely bit of statuary. When he came forward to greet her, he held in his hand a bunch of magnificent roses. "'These look as if they belonged to you, Miss Gray,' he said as he separated a half-dozen heavy-headed white buds from those he held and handed them to her, their rich, dark-green leaves showing off their lovely petals to perfection. Here, Evelyn, these are for you, and he gave the pink ones to his sister. Allison buried her face in the flowers in delight, and then fastened them in the knot of lace at her breast, where they gave the last touch of art needed. She sat down to the table, feeling that she was at a grand party. Yes, she was unsophisticated, or she could never have enjoyed it so intensely, nor dreaded it so deeply. For after all, it was quite easy. She looked up to find Mr. Rutherford's kind, keen eyes upon her inquiringly. They were like her dear Miss Jones, only with a sadness in them, and a lack of that light of peace. But they were pleasant, and she could see by his expression that he was pleased by what he saw. Strange to say, during that first dinner, which had been regarded with her by so much apprehension, it was Allison who did most of the talking, and she directed her conversation to Mr. Rutherford, Sr. Afterward she blushed to herself to remember it. 
and wondered if she had seemed very forward saying so much but at the time it had all been so natural mr rutherford had asked a question about hillcroft and allison had been led on by a word from him now and then until she had described vividly the old stone house where miss joan rutherford lived the garden where she worked and which she loved the country round about and above all the dear lady herself mr rutherford's heart warmed as she went on and his eyes lit with pleasure here at last was a girl who knew how to appreciate real worth even if it was in an old woman evelyn watched her with surprise here was another allison she had seen her in her quiet home she had seen her doing kind acts she had seen her among the young girls and with the wild rough boys of her sunday-school class yes and she had seen her leading a public meeting but she had never heard her talk at length before and did not know how well she could appear when she forgot herself and let the color come into her cheeks and enthusiasm light up her dark blue eyes that shone and scintillated with her various expressions and her language was most poetic how well her father liked it why had she never thought to describe hillcroft and what she knew of aunt joan's house to him he was listening as eagerly as if he were hungry for the tale the young man watched her with a growing interest which changed little by little from the mere curiosity he would give to a new species of the human kind to a look of genuine admiration it was true as evelyn had said that she was beautiful and yet with the quiet beauty of the puritan maiden there was a shy droop to the dark lashes that made one long to see the flitting light in the clear eyes and how well the simple white gown suited her richard did not know if it was costly or not he merely knew it suited her on the whole evelyn rutherford was pleased with the impression her guest was making she had not known that she cared about this but now she saw that she did she was particularly pleased that dick should like her for then he would not be bored by going about with them she knew her fastidious brother would not have liked a dowdy-looking girl nor enjoyed an awkward stupid one Allison was neither of these for while she fancied herself awkward in the extreme and dreaded each new course lest she should commit some error of form with fork or spoon she was in fact quite generally free from self-consciousness which is the source of all embarrassment and awkwardness what have you young ladies on hand for to-morrow asked the young man as they arose from the table there is a fine collection of paintings on exhibition and to-morrow is the private view i have secured tickets in case you care to go you won't see many pictures because of the crowd as it is the private view but miss gray may enjoy seeing the people who think themselves worth looking at then we can go another time for a good look at the pictures when every one is free to come and very few are there i wonder why it is that everything in this world that is to be had for the asking is discounted by the majority allison looked her delight at hearing of the pictures but felt dubious about the fashionable people she was not sure she had anything that would do to wear to such an assemblage the evening passed very pleasantly in talk and music allison urging her hostess to play and declining to do so herself saying she was no musician and only played a little for her own pleasure time passed without count allison was astonished to remember on waking the third morning of her stay that it was sunday a homesick feeling stole over her 
they would all be going to the dear home church soon and then would come the afternoon school how would her dear boys get on with the man she had secured to teach them she felt slightly troubled about it but he had been the only available person and they had promised to keep things up during her absence for her sake with a sigh she knelt to pray giving them into the care of the father who knew better than did she how to plan for their good the family breakfast was very late but evelyn had come down fully dressed for church as had allison so that they had but to get wraps and gloves and start and when they appeared with these on they found the two gentlemen waiting below to accompany them to allison this seemed perfectly natural but to evelyn it was an intense surprise she could not remember that her father had attended church since she was a little girl as for richard he never went at least not to his sister's knowledge she had been going herself regularly but a very short time the great church with its quiet restful colors and rich tones in costly stained windows in woodwork walls and carpet its deep-toned solemn organ that rolled through the hushed air like the earnest of the judgment day all impressed allison deeply it touched her sense of the poetic and traditional all pictures in her imagination of the temples of old were like this it was different so different from the bright little crowded church at hillcroft with but two precious stained-glass windows and the rest clear white through which the full boisterous sunlight could come at will and with almost a buzz of kindly greeting from neighbors coming in before the service began nevertheless she missed something that made her feel lonely what was it only homesickness she felt it more when the first hymn began how very few people were joining in the morning praise it startled her so that she almost stopped singing for a moment frightened at hearing her own voice so plainly and then richard rutherford with whom she was sharing her book took up the strain in his fine tenor voice and she took heart to sing softly once more but why was it did the people not know the tune at hillcroft that music would ring out with deep volume and even old mrs banks who had no voice above a quaver would open her mouth wide and one could tell by her eyes that she was truly praising in her heart if not in strict musical accord when the sermon began the dim religious light of the sanctuary in such harmonious accord with her ideas of all things holy proved its restful power by putting her almost to sleep the sweet well-modulated tones of the preacher rather lulled her spirit to repose she found to her distress that little by little the pulpit seemed to be moving slowly away from her and a delicious sense of losing consciousness was stealing through her being she roused herself as best she could but still that droning kept going in her ears and the desire to droop came over her eyelids and she was glad indeed when the organ sounded forth again in the closing hymn as they walked home together along fifth avenue richard rutherford who was by allison's side asked how did you like the sermon allison was slightly embarrassed it was sweet and-and all that he said was true she began then looking up into his laughing eyes she colored slightly i'm afraid i did not hear it closely mr rutherford the truth was the quiet place made me intolerably sleepy i am ashamed and i am afraid i did not get much help for the week out of it is that the way you judge of a sermon miss gray by its helpfulness to you why yes don't you she asked innocently looking up at him 
Indeed, I fear I never have thought of a sermon in that light with regard to myself at all, he said gravely. Allison could not quite make up her mind what he meant by that, so she asked a question. Why don't the people sing? I thought the first must be a new tune, but the second and third were no better. Half of them were not trying, some not even looking at their books. Why should they? he asked in an amused tone. They pay a good salary to the four individuals up in the choir loft to do it for them. Much of them feel that the exertion would be too much, and many of the professional singers can make better music, in which latter fact I suppose they are correct. The majority of the people are very poor singers when you come down to it. Allison opened her great blue eyes wide in surprise. But praising is part of worship, she said. I thought a choir was to lead the people. To hire one's praise would be doing as the heathen do when they pay the priest for saying prayers for them. Indeed, it hadn't appealed to me in that light before, but now you speak of it, there is a sort of similarity between them. By the way, Miss Gray, you have a way of bringing out startling contrasts, just as your brother does. He has made me feel anything but comfortable a number of times. However, as I am not a member of that congregation, I cannot be supposed to be hit this time, but upon my word, it would seem to me that it would be much better to have the praising business done up by someone who knew how than to have the church filled with discord. Do you know Browning's The Boy and the Angel? answered Allison thoughtfully. Do you remember how when Theocrity left off singing Praise God at evening, morning, noon, and night, and went to be the Pope in Rome, while the angel Gabriel came and took his place, working at his trade and singing as Theocrity had done? God said, A praise is in mine ear, there is no doubt in it, no fear. So sing old worlds, and so new worlds that from my footstool go. Clearer loves sound other ways. I miss my little human praise. And when Gabriel came and sent Theocrity back to his cell, he told him that when his weak voice of praise stopped in that cell, creation's chorus stopped. He watched her understandingly, his eyes showing his appreciation as he spoke. Yes, I remember, he said and your point is well taken, but after all that is merely a fancy of Mr. Robert Browning's. You don't really suppose that God prefers to have Mr. Brown, and Mrs. Jones, and Mrs. Schuyler, and Miss Morrison, who can't sing a note except out of tune, praise him in church in preference to those four wonderfully trained voices, do you? Certainly I do, said Allison earnestly. Of course I did not mean that Mr. Browning was an authority on the subject. I merely used that as an illustration. I think there are plenty of examples in the highest authority of all, the Bible, to prove the theory is true. For instance, take this. It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth for ever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The young man looked at his companion in astonishment. Look here, he said, half laughing. Do you manufacture verses to fit the occasion? 
I'm sure I never heard any such verse in the Bible, though that might easily be. But you must be very familiar with that book to quote so readily. That certainly sounds as if it was made to order. If that is to be found in the Bible, I'll have to give up my point. Do you mean to say that the sermon would have been better if the people had all sung? Possibly, said Allison gravely. At least we might have felt the presence of the glory of the Lord. But the verse is certainly in the Bible, she added half laughingly. Though I cannot claim to be always so ready with a quotation, it just happens that we had this subject for one of our young people's meetings not long ago. And I have studied it quite recently. That verse seemed so unusual that I put it away in my memory. The others came up then, and they all passed into the house. She is a bright little thing and knows what she is about, commented the young man to himself afterward. And she seems to have a wide range of knowledge. It isn't all confined to the Bible, either. How beautifully she recited the boy and the angel, and how quick she was to bring in that Bible verse. It was a unique application. I shall enjoy her. End of chapter 22